Welcome to Slay Church. We are so glad that you're tuning in today and pray that wherever you are, this message will bless you. If this impacts you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. Seven high fives and take a seat. Seven. I almost missed a cue to come up on the platform. I was back talking to, not that I was ignoring the service or anything like that, but Nathan Wells was distracting me, talking to me about bikes and... If anybody knows Nathan Wells, you know that I was distracting him. But uh, uh, we, we usually have so many announcements, don't we? <laughs> it's like um, a ton of announcements. Today we had one, and I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm supposed to be up there. So I ran up. Uh, good to see everybody. How are you doing? Good. Lively crowd. Good. Of course, I don't expect anything less from the 9 a.m. Uh, you guys are early risers. Mitch and Sarah, welcome. <laughs> Mitch and Sarah, Ruth McCracken. That's weird. That's uh, that's some weird stuff. It's it's just weird that you guys are married now. How's that been? Any marriage advice for anybody else in the room? Three days in. <laughs> All right, uh, we'll move on. Uh, good to see you this morning. Uh, I don't know if uh, you guys were here last week for Nathan Finocchio. Does anybody did anybody have a chance to come out to one of the evening services with Nathan Finocchio? Yeah, good, good for you. Um, wasn't that exciting just to see? If you're here at the 6:30, you would have seen that we actually had uh, we used every chair that we actually ha- own. Um, we were even using pews. Isn't it interesting that uh, here at, at Maxwell's they have pews just sitting around, and so we got to use those again and everything else. And I, I think that weeks like that are really encouraging, and it's actually important to just take a, a moment and say, you know what? That's actually pretty special. It's pretty special that in 2019, you can pack out a a venue like this, Maxwell's Concerts and Events, and have it completely packed out with people that are here to worship God, listen to God's word and everything else. I think it should give us hope here, even in the 9 a.m., that God is on the move. God is doing some really cool stuff here at Slate Church, and uh, we should honor him for that because because he deserves all all of our praise. Also just wanted to say a quick thanks. I'm sure somebody said it last week as well, but if you had an opportunity to uh, help out with the cleanup here at Maxwell's uh, about a week ago, it feels like a lot longer ago than that, but uh, a week ago, uh, not on Sunday, but the previous day, Saturday, uh, we had a cleanup here at Maxwell's, and we just want to thank you if you helped out with that. Uh, we have a great relationship with the venue here at Maxwell's. Uh, in fact, you might know that we unlock and lock up ourselves every single week. That's how great the relationship is. But we, we uh, maintain that good of a relationship with Maxwell's here because of things like that, because of generosity, because of your service and and uh, sacrifice of your time and energy and all the rest to be able to come and just make this place even better and that sort of thing. So on behalf of us as lead pastors, but also Paul, who owns Maxwell's, we just want to thank everybody that uh, came out for that because that's a big help to everything that's going on. Come on, no golf claps, no golf claps. My name is so polite. You're all like, sorry, am I going to wake you up? No, 
And let's wake those that are, are sleeping, dragged out of bed, like, oh, man, I wish I had to come to the 4 p.m. I'd be awake. Uh, let's wake those little nudges going on here. Uh, let's let's uh, at least be loud enough to wake everybody up. All right. Uh, let's pray, and then we're going to get into the message. Yeah, let's pray, and then we'll get into the message. Jesus, thank you so much that we get to come here today. God, it is an honor to be able to be here and, and as your children to partner with you in what you're doing here on earth. God, you are not done with our world. You are not done with our city. You are not done with our lives. And that's incredibly, incredibly um, uh, hopeful and, and exciting because, God, that means that we actually have an opportunity to, uh, to, to really believe that the best is yet to come. And so, God, this morning we just uh, give you our hearts and our minds and our souls. Please uh, provide what we need here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. If you don't know who I am, my name is Brandon Richardson. I'm one of the lead pastors here alongside uh, my wife, Emma, who's at the back with a little newborn. And uh, that's probably another reason why I was distracted during the worship. I'm just trying to make up reasons so you don't think I'm a bad pastor. Um, but uh, we also pass alongside Luke and Victoria Betker. And as Victoria was just saying, it's an absolute privilege. This morning, I'd be preaching a message, if you're taking notes, called The Ark of Celebration. Not the art of celebration, the Ark of Celebration. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about what it, what it means to actually uh, celebrate what God is doing, what it actually means to celebrate his presence and, and celebrate what it means to be a church. And I think that it's going to be a message that encourages you. I'm, I'm speaking in a little bit of a different format. And if you've heard me speak before, you're probably like, you have a format to the way you speak? <laughs> like, I didn't know that. Uh, but it is. And I, I just encourage you to stick with me because there's actually some really... Um, really great principles to pull out this morning uh, based on where we're at as a church and where God is actually taking us, okay? And so we're gonna find ourselves in, in a book of the Bible that I don't speak out of a whole lot, but uh, the book of uh, 2 Samuel. Everybody say Samuel. 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 And the book of 2 Samuel has this interesting story. Of course, uh, the, Samuel documents the, the, the rise of David, the fall of Saul. Um, David was uh, the king of Israel during this time, and Saul was his predecessor, and somebody who was a man of God, but basically allowed the worldly things and ungodly things of the world to get to him. It actually turned out to be a bit of a tyrant in the end. And we're reading about the, the, the rise of David into uh, kingship in Israel during this time, and and uh, some of you might know that actually Israel was taken into captivity, or the Ark, rather, the Ark of the Covenant was taken into captivity, and it was taken to a place called Philistine. They would say Philistine. But you got to say it with a little bit of disgust, because the people of Israel didn't like the Philistines, so you have to say, like, Philistine. Some of you are like, that's fun. Some of you are like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, Philistine, uh, the Philistines were a group of people that were actually hated by the Israelites and, and vice versa, okay? And the Ark of the Covenant was uh, basically what represented the presence of God, okay? So this is interesting, and, and it's worth noting so that you understand what's going on in the message here this morning. But the Ark of the Covenant actually housed the presence of God. It's something that God uh, asked the Israelites to build to represent his presence. But during this time, New Test or Old Testament, prior to Jesus coming, that's actually the presence of God lived. And the, the Ark of the Covenant would be carried around. And then they'd put up all these pipe and drape around the Ark of the Covenant. They'd put up all this stuff. And they'd have inner rooms and the Holy of Holies and the outer room and the courtyards and all the rest. And they'd put this all up. It was the OG portable church. 
okay? If you think like, like, oh man, portable churches are less than. No, they're actually more biblical than built churches, okay? Anyway, uh, but, but the Ark of the Covenant would go around and the presence of God lived in there. So when Philist- Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant, what they were doing is they were stealing the presence of God. Okay, this is not good, okay? Unless you're like welcoming the presence of God in your life, it is not good to just steal the presence of God. Like a bad omen of sorts, all of a sudden the presence of God starts stirring up trouble for the Philistines. They're like, we thought that this thing would be something that benefited benefited us. All of a sudden we thought that we would become as strong as the Israelites by having the presence of God. But who knows knows that just because you have the presence of God, if you mistreat it, it it doesn't actually give you what you thought that it should give you. So the Philistines actually try to give it back. They're like, take it back. We don't need this. And all of a sudden, the Israelites are like, okay, you know, we'll take it back. But it actually ends up in a place called Kiriath-Jerim. Everybody say Kiriath-Jerim. If that's too much, you can just say KJ. KJ. Yeah, KJ. King James. (laughs) LeBron James. Um, Kiriath-Jerim. And it ends up there, and it ends up there for 70 years. The first thing that David does when he uh, comes into kingship is he says that we need to bring the presence of God back to Israel. Now, this is, this is like, this is good leadership practices. For anybody that's in leadership, whether you're leading a family, whether you're, whether you're leading at school, whether you're leading in your workplace, wherever you're leading, this is actually a good lesson for you because the very first thing that David does when he comes into power is he says, I cannot do this, we cannot do this, there's no way this is gonna work unless we have the presence of God here. And what does he do? The first thing he does is he orders 30,000 men to go get the Ark of the Covenant from kiriath Jerim and bring it back into the city of God. Bring the presence of God back into what they're doing. And I don't care what you're leading in this life, but you need to know that if you're not doing it with the presence of God, good luck. If you're not doing it with God on your side, good luck. If you're trying to mobilize yourself and conquer the world and chase your dreams without the presence of God, good luck. Take a little bit of a lesson, a page of the book of David, and realize that we actually need the presence of God in everything that we're going to do in this life if we're going to succeed to the ends of which God wants. Is this, good? Is this a good word? So far, I'm preaching better than you're responding, but that's okay. That's just an encouragement. It's a little challenge. If you're like me, I'm like, no, I'm gonna respond better than you're preaching. And so David uh, David says to bring this in. And now some interesting things happen. I'm, I'm kind of laying a little bit of a, 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 I guess, a foundation for where we're going today. But J, uh, Jason, where's, where did that come from? Jason tells, that's my father-in-law. Maybe he needs to hear this morning. He'll be here in the 11 a.m. Uh, David uh, is bringing the presence of God back to, uh, he's bringing it back to uh, Jerusalem. And on the way, the presence of God, they put it on a cart and it starts to fall over and one guy tries to catch it, keep the presence of God up there. And all of a sudden he touches the, the, the presence of God, he touches the Ark of the Covenant and he drops dead. It's like, hold up, what, what does that mean? Like, if I'm reading the Bible for the first time, I'm like, this doesn't sound like a loving God, Right? All of a sudden it continues on and everybody's partying and celebrating and everything else, but they realize that, that, that this guy has died and David goes like, hold up. Like if that's gonna start happening, then go give it to Obed-Edom. This is another guy that just like pops up in the story. There's no context for this guy whatsoever. Obed-Edom, he's like, just go put it in Obed-Edom's house. And so Obed-Edom's like, don't bring it to my house. Like, let's just kill the guy, right? 
All of a sudden, it comes into Obed-Edom's house, and it says it stays there for three months, and Obed-Edom gets the blessing of God for three months while it rests in his house. And so David's thinking, like, wait, okay, if it's going to bless this guy, then bring it back. Like, why is it staying there? And so he says, go get the presence of God. And so they start bringing it back. Well, they bring it into Jerusalem. It finally makes its way. The 30,000 men are dancing and, and, and partying, and everything's going great. And it says that David's wife, Michal, is up in a window, and she sees David celebrating, and it says, that she says uh, in, her, in her heart she despises David for his celebrating. For his celebration, she despises David for what he's doing. And so David just keeps dancing and everything else, and he thinks that things are going well, but who knows, when the wife at home is not doing so well, things are not good in the neighborhood. And so he's like dancing, thinking that everything's good, and he goes up, and he goes to meet Michal, and he's like, the presence of God is back. And Michal goes, you've made a fool of yourself, David. She's not, she's not liking the way that he's dancing. She doesn't like that he's taken off his priestly, or he has priestly garments on, and he's taken off his kingly garments. And she's going, what are you doing, David? And David, like any good husband, goes, I will become even more indignified than this. And he starts dancing again. <laughs> it's like, bad move, David. But Michal had in, in, in her heart different motives than what David had. You know, all along uh, the, the presence of God coming back into a place where it was dormant, there was distraction. All along the pathway that it took for the presence of God to come back into the city of God, there was distraction. And I think that this is something that we find actually quite common in our day today. I think that distraction is something that gets in our way of actually experiencing all that God actually has for us. And I had a moment of celebration when I was younger that, that uh, followed a similar narrative arc that, that this story shared. I, uh, I, I was in Bantam. That's a word for a, a division of hockey. Um, they have all these weird names for divisions of hockeys, don't they? In, in baseball, it's even more weird. There's like mosquito. Um, in, in hockey, it's like bantam, tyke, adam, novice, midget. I don't know where they get these things from. But I was in bantam, and this was a, a basically junior high age. And uh, we were going for the, the, the All-Ontario all Finals uh, Championships, okay? Uh, no big deal. No big deal. I just wanted to slip that in there. We were going for the, the All-Ontario Championships, and we may or may not have uh, been pretty good at that time. And uh, our team was actually quite messed up at that time, okay? Uh, we actually had basically a coach that was a pothead. Uh, later on, he got in trouble for selling drugs to the kids on our team. Um, like, like it, was, it was a bit of a mess, okay? It, this is a small town. As many of you know, I grew up in a small town. And things happen in small towns that don't happen in big towns. And, and, uh, and so I just remember it being a complete mess the whole time. I remember that me, I was the captain, and my assistant captain actually just started coaching the team. We were, like, bringing up kids from a house league to just like come and play for our team. We're like, you're better than half the kids on our team. And parents were getting upset and all the rest. And we're like, we're going to win the All-Ontario Finals. Just be quiet. It's going to be okay. You know, it's like a, a coach is a pothead. We're coaching this thing. Don't worry about it. You know, and so I just remember this whole season being so crazy and everything else. But the big, uh, the big like enticer by the end of the season was that we knew that if we so happened to win the All-Ontario Finals, that we would be able to go around town on a fire truck. <laughs> now listen, in Elmira, I spoke this message last week. Everyone was like, yeah, okay, that's awesome. Like, amazing. You get to get right on a fire truck. I know that this doesn't translate into city life. Like, there are not... <laughs> fire trucks driving around Waterloo with sports teams just hanging off of them like, Woo -hoo -hoo! we won. 
time. And everybody's like, is there any sort of health and safety going on here? Like, do you care about their, in small towns, things are different. Let me explain to you. If you win anything in a small town, if you're about to win anything in a small town, everybody shows up. Literally, you're like, how, much, how, how big is the population of, of, of your town at the time of, at the time of uh, you winning the championship? I, I, we'll just come to the arena. Everybody's there. Start counting. You know, Everybody shows up. It's a big deal. So when you win, you get a ride on the fire truck. So game's going on. And remember, it's game seven. We're all excited. We're like, we're going to win this thing. And more importantly, we're going to ride the fire truck. We win the game, and you better believe it. Everything's kind of sort of dying down. And we're ready. We're like, bring the escort up. Bring it up. Fire truck comes out. We're like, yes. This is the moment we've been waiting for. Like, I don't even remember winning the hockey game. I just remember we drove around on a fire truck. And so we all get up on there. And I kid you not, everybody in the town is coming up from their doors. They're like all on the side of the street like, yes. We're like shouting our names. I swear, everybody on the streets are like, Brandon. Brandon, Brandon, I'm like, it's not just me, there's other people on the team, they're like, no, Brandon, you know, like, this is, I'm living in this world, like, we're on the fire truck, things are going great, we're going around the whole town, people are honking their horns, the fire truck's going crazy, uh, nobody's thinking about health and safety at all, because this is a small town, and who cares about health and safety in a small town, and we're driving around everything else, and I just remember getting back, and, and, and actually getting off the fire truck, and a parent berating me. I'm like, dude, what's up? He's like, you brought your brother on the fire truck. I'm like, yes. So like, he doesn't play on the team. I'm like, okay. He's like, well, my son should have been on the fire truck too. I'm like, is this the argument we're about to have after I just get off this fire truck? Go somewhere else right now. You know, like, I'm not having, but immediately I get off and it's like, it's like all of a sudden people are like, why didn't my kid get on the fire truck? I'm like, all I did is I brought my, I'm the captain of this team. You know, all I did was brought my brother on the fire. All of a sudden, like, what? Why did? Why did he get on go on the fire truck? Why did? And I just remember it all of a sudden being this like big thing. And I'm like, I didn't realize this was going to be such a big thing. I wouldn't have brought my brother on the fire truck. I'm sorry. But all the way through this message on on David bringing the Ark of the Covenant in, it's like at every turn, it's somebody's trying to. Somebody's like ruining it. This guy named Uzzah touches the Ark of the Covenant and he dies. And everybody's like. Man, that guy's a buzzkill. <laughs> We're celebrating 30,000 strong, small town coming out, celebrating. And all of a sudden, this guy's got to die. What's wrong with him? You know, but, but I think before we even get to the reasons why some of this stuff happened, we got to understand that 30,000 people celebrating or the presence of God coming back into a town is something we're celebrating. You know, I, I think that we can get so much into the questions of like, why did Uzzah die? Why was Mihal such a, a downer up in her room? Like, what's going on in this story that we read? And we fail to rep, uh, recognize that the whole story doesn't even surround those things, but it actually focuses narrowly on the presence of God actually coming back into the city. You see, in the Old Testament, it was the Ark of the Covenant that housed the presence of God. And the Ark of the Covenant would have been carried with these poles into wherever they were going, wherever they were traveling to. The Ark of the Covenant would have been carried with these poles, and everybody would have been quite excited. But you know what the New Testament tells us about the presence of God? Jesus arrives on the scene, and one of the things that he gets in so much trouble for as he's headed to his own destination, to his own what would be our celebration surrounding Easter, the cross, 
Jesus is headed there, and what does he say that gets him in so much trouble? He says, look at the temple. Everybody's like, what is he about to show us, you know? He says, I can tear down that temple in three days and rebuild it. And that's what actually put him on the cross and not only put him on the cross, but ultimately killed him. That phrase is what killed him. That phrase that killed Jesus is the phrase that actually sets us free. Because when he says he's gonna tear down the temple, what he is saying is that all the things that come in between the presence of God actually being experienced on an intimate level and actually being distanced from from man, I'm about to destroy. During this time, there would have been a a veil between the, the, the presence of God and the rest of the people. The veil would have been six inches thick of fabric. Where do you get fabric like that? We need it here. It would be such good sound barrier. We wouldn't even need a building. It would be so beautiful. Where do you get it? It says that Jesus dies on the cross and all of a sudden this six inch thick fabric tears in two and all of a sudden the presence of God becomes available for all. See, the presence of God is something we're celebrating because when the presence of God comes into the lives of an individual, all of a sudden, blessing comes on an individual. Obed-Edom is like, man, leave the presence of God here. For the last three months, it's been blessing me and my family. And David's like, no, it can't just bless you. It's gotta bless the whole nation of Israel because the presence of God is not just meant to bless an individual. It's meant to go out from that individual and bless all the people around them. And come on, that's good. See, now you're responding better than I'm preaching. I I got this uh, Apple Watch, uh, as you know, because I always point it out. Um, Hey, did, did you... Did you know I got an Apple Watch? May not have, may not have noticed it. Listen, I cannot afford an Apple Watch. Somebody bought it for me. <laughs> and uh, that's not true. I could probably afford an Apple Watch, but I choose to prioritize my money elsewhere. Somebody else bought it for me. Okay, there we go. My father bought it for me. He's not in the 9 a.m., so I'll have to reword everything that I just said when he is here in the 11 a.m. He bought it for me. And for the first little while, like I was trying to figure out what is the purpose of an Apple Watch. Anybody ever buy something? You're like, why did I buy this? And like, well, the first little while, I'm like, what, what, what is this? You know, I tried to figure it out um, on, on my watch face, which I'm sure everybody can see right to the back row. Um, I've got a few different things that it helps me track. One is uh, when the sun is going to set. <laughs> really super helpful. <laughs> really needed that in my life. Um, so if you're interested... Uh, when I started this illustration, it was 11 hours and three minutes. Now it's 11 hours and two minutes. Um, it tells me a, a stopwatch. Sometimes I use this to make sure that I'm not, you see a little stopwatch going. Um, I also have available to me the time because that's what watchers are for. I have a, a calendar on here. I have the, the weather. It tells me right now that, that it is 12 degrees and it's going to be 18. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And uh, I can tell my heart rate, and, and uh, it also tells me the wind speed, which is uh, super helpful. And uh, that's actually for cycling. It is helpful. But, you know, over time, I, I began to realize that like, the, real, um, the real blessing of, a, of an Apple Watch, if you can call it that, that's a weird way of describing it. The real blessing of an Apple Watch is actually for health, right? It, it actually, if there's anything that the Apple Watch provides, it's, it's a degree of, of health measurements that actually help you become a healthier person. And one of the things that I've been tracking since I got my Apple Watch is the amount of water that I intake. And that's the last little dial here. Right now it says zero. And that would be true. Um, I have drank zero water today. <laughs> 
But as I drink water, I log it, and I, and I start, to, I, I start to, to figure out how much water I'm drinking. Uh, the, the average adult drinks about one to one and a half liters of water a day. There's many different studies. The study that I read says one to one and a half liters. The average adult should drink, if you're not active, three liters, two to three liters a day. So obviously, we're all kind of dehydrated. We're walking around dehydrated. If you're active, you should be drinking between four, three and a half, and five liters of water a day. And so I'm learning all this different stuff, and I'm like starting to track my water. I'm like definitely drinking like probably six liters because I'm an an overachiever, you know. And start tracking and everything else, and I start realizing I'm only drinking literally like like 500 to 500 milliliters to a liter a day. Like when I started tracking, I'm like. Holy smokes, like this isn't good. And I'm drinking like a ton of coffee, like five cups of coffee a day and 500 milliliters to 1,000 milliliters of water a day. If you don't know what coffee does, it actually dehydrates you. So like, I'm like in anti-water territory, you know? I'm just like walking around like, oh my gosh, why do I feel so, ugh. And and all of a sudden I start tracking it and, and I start realizing like the more water I drink, there's a direct correlation with how I feel. All of a sudden, the more water I drink, the better I feel. The more water I drink, the more clear I think. The more water I drink, the better my body feels after a workout. The more water I drink, the better I feel going into a bike ride and all this different stuff. And, and I start realizing after I start drinking now four to five liters of water a day, I'm like on top of the world. I feel, I feel, I feel good. I look good, don't I? <laughs> Come on, I look good, don't I? <laughs> I'm not giving this faster pity praise. Like, what is this? But, I, but I, all of a sudden, I went from like feeling like I was wa- a dead man walking to like feeling so alive. It, you know, the presence of God is a little bit like that. Where it, it can be, it can be very much like, like I, I have the presence. Like I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I, I, I know somebody that is a Christian. I know the pre- and, and you're like, I, I think I felt the effects. But the thing is about it is that if you're not actually allowing the presence of God to actually move through your life, if you're not actually welcoming it into every aspect of your life, if you're not welcoming Him into every, all the decisions that you're making, into your waking and your going and your leaving and your coming and you're going to sleep and all the rest, you're actually missing out on the presence of God in your life. It's not an addiction to your life. It's actually the mobile force inside of you. It's God's presence inside of you that is actually meant to actually guide everything that you do in your life. The presence of God can be quenched, but it's not on God's side that it's being quenched. It's not like God's withholding his presence and like, well, you know, it's gonna have to stay at Obed-Edom's house for a little while and then you can have it, like a little stuffed animal you take home for kindergarten and then you get it for a week and then you give it to your friend for a week and then you get it back and you're like, who put that stain on my teddy bear this week? You know, like, it's not that kind of gross, like, weird, having to wait your turn kind of thing. With the kingdom of God, with, the, with, with Jesus arriving on the scene, all of a sudden it went from this mobile presence that you had to just stay away from and be very careful with, all of a sudden it actually transformed into something that can be very personal personable and actually be quite uh, real to you in your life in real time. And you actually get to live out of the reality of the presence of God. You see, David and the 30,000 men understood this. David and his men understood that it is worth doing everything possible to get the presence of God into your life because without it, 
Blessing is really hard to come by. Without the presence of God inside of you, it's really hard to find victory. Without the presence of God, it's really hard to actually show the people around you what God does when he's a part of you. And so David says, bring it in, and they start celebrating. And honestly, I think it's time for the church to say, listen, as much as we've heard about the presence of God for some of us our entire lives, it's time to stand up and say, you know what? I need the presence of God fresh inside of me so that I can start experiencing all of the things that the Bible says that I could experience and not just experience it secondhand from Obed-Edom, but I could actually experience it myself. We have a bunch of starving, thirsty Christians. We just do. And we try to look for it in so many different ways and And the only way that's gonna actually satisfy our souls is if we actually just reach out and receive what is actually available to us. So what about this Uzzah thing? If, if celebration is so important, if the presence of God is so important, what about this Uzzah guy? Like, what, what happened to Uzzah? Everybody say Uzzah. Everybody say Uzzah. It sounds kind of grosser, the way Uzzah. It's like oozing, like that's a disgusting like English word. I saw the reaction, we're like, oh, why are you saying that from the platform? His name was Uzzah, there's nothing I can do about it. But Uzzah, like what is this thing about him actually coming into contact with the presence of God and actually dying? It's like, hey, hey, I'm willing to do this whole presence of God thing, I get the blessing, I get the favor, I get the victory, I get all the, but like I don't want that if I'm going to die. See, Uzzah, actually happened to be somebody that was from the region of Kiriath-Jerim. <laughs> Kiriath-Jerim was the place that the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, actually was, existed for 70 years. 70 years between Philistine, the Philistines stealing the presence of God, being like, oops, when you mistreat the presence of God, that's not a good thing, bringing it into Philist the, uh, uh, the Philistine region. After they, they released it and, and David picked it up, there was a 70-year period where it was in Kiriath-Jerim. Kiriath-Jerim was where Uzu was from. In fact, when you dig a little bit deeper and you actually read behind the scenes, it's actually believed that Uzu was partly responsible for maintaining and, and procuring and just making sure that the Ark of the Covenant was actually cared for. Surprising, then, that when he's coming back and the Ark of the Covenant's about to fall and he reaches to stabilize it, that he dies. But one thing you need to know about the, the Ark of the Covenant that God makes it very clear in the, the Old Testament is that there is no one to touch the Ark of the Covenant without the poles. Okay, this, this, is, what, this is what this says to us, okay? Is that the Ark of the Covenant should be respected. The Ark of the Covenant has some rules around it. The Ark of the Covenant has some expectation tied to it. The Ark of the Covenant has these things that really only, uh, uh, really affect those really close to it. But if you don't follow these things, you're going to die. See, Uzzah's uh, major mistake was celebrating the presence of God and celebrating the return of the presence of God is that he had become complacent with the presence of God. He knows that he's not supposed to touch it. He knows he's not allowed to come near it. He knows that there's some rules surrounding it. But what does he do? His first reaction is to do something that is made out of, a reaction that is made out of complacency and not actually out of reverency. See, I think the same thing is what plagues the church today, is that we have become complacent with the presence of God, and it's actually what is killing 
us internally as followers of Jesus. Our complacency was just like, yeah, of course, it's the presence of God. Why is he talking so much about the presence of God? Why does he keep saying presence of God? Why are we at church learning again about the presence? Why, is, why, why do I need to hit? I already know all this stuff. And that's the very thing, and that's the very reason that is actually killing our momentum and our joy as believers in Jesus is our nearness to God is sometimes the very thing that is killing our relationship with God. I mean, you don't have to be married too long. I mean, three days in, Mitch and Sarah told me about a massive fight that they just had on the way to church today. <laughs> Hopefully it didn't happen that quick. <laughs> That's not true at all. It doesn't happen very long for those of us that have been in relationships. It doesn't happen very long for those of us that have been work in workplaces. Our dream job, we finally got it. It doesn't happen very long for those of us that have been praying for kids and now we have the kids. It doesn't happen very long when we've been praying that we would find a church or maybe we found a church that really lights our spirits up and we, we're really excited about what God, it doesn't take very long before we start complaining about that thing, does it? It doesn't take very long before we stay, start taking for granted what God was actually doing and intending through that thing. It doesn't take very long before we actually start mishandling that thing. It doesn't take very long before we start just taking it for granted that this thing is just available everywhere. Does it? I honestly believe that one of the killers of a growing church is complacency. One of the killers of actually God doing all that he wants to do through Slate Church is actually going to be complacency. Yeah, I, I always serve on the same door. It doesn't really matter. I always have to learn all these chords for this song, and it, it doesn't really matter. You know, oh, yeah, we're just going to do four songs, and then we're going we're, we're gonna to do prayer and praise, and then somebody's going to get up there. And I just, I get it. The very thing that one time lit your soul on fire, whether the thing that, that excited you internally, the thing that actually brought you joy, the thing you got out of bed for, the thing that actually uh, highlighted so much of God's goodness in your life, all of a sudden becomes a, uh, something of contention, something that you actually are complacent with, something that you're taking for granted, something that you're going, listen, I can move into the future, but I, do I really need that thing? Because we've missed all the blessing that has been giving us the entire time. I used to work with a guy in Peterborough, and uh, I mentioned the, the place because it'll explain everything for you. Um, I'm from Coburg, Ontario, so east, east side of Toronto is the best side of Toronto. Not here. Um, my own sister didn't even give a shout out for east side of Toronto. <laughs> That's a good sign. Maybe he'll come live on the west side of Toronto. Um, but I worked with this guy, and he worked, I forget whether it was night shift or, or day shift or whatever else, when you're working shift work, it doesn't really matter. This is one of those things that you can co become complacent and you're like, I don't even know what time of the day it is. I just know when I have to show up at work, you know? And so he would drive from Oshawa to Peterborough. And of course, if, if you know that area, it's basically all highway. And, uh, and he was telling me about how excited he was about the highway repairs that had been done. And I'm like, I didn't even know that they had done some. And he's like, yeah, they've been, they've been adding these things called rumble strips. And I'm like, I'm so glad you're so stoked on rumble strips. He's like, yeah. He's like, I'm so tired all the time, and the roads are empty on the way to work and from work. He said, so basically, like, I just allow myself to nod off, and I just have myself close enough to the line and my hands on one side of the steering wheel that when I fall asleep, I just pull it. I hit the rumble strip, and I wake back up. It's perfect. I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm like 17 years old. I'm like, I don't know if I'm allowed to call the cops on you. I don't know if you could get fired for this. I, but like, I'm like, 
you're insane. Like, like you're insane, you know. I did some dumb stuff in a car at 17 years old. Anybody with me? Uh, don't do dumb things at 17 years old. I just realized there's probably 17-year-olds in the room. Don't do dumb stuff at 17. But I did some dumb stuff. That is the dumbest thing that I've ever heard. All of a sudden, he's like, yeah, I just, like, I'm on my way to work, and I just, like, not off and I wake back up and it's fine. I get sleep on the way to work. It's one of my ways to catch up on sleep. I'm like, no, you can't do that. You know, you can't just take for granted the ways of the road. You can't take for granted your safety on the road. But, you know, I think a lot of us were like, tell me who that guy is. You know, we're going to call him in. We're going to make sure he's not still doing that. He could kill somebody on the highway. And I just think, you know, yes, all of that, yes, yes, and more yes. But I just have a feeling that some of us don't take the presence of God as seriously as something like that. I mean, immediately we're like, oh, call 911, this guy's a criminal. And yet some of us at a criminal level are like just taking for granted the presence of God in our lives. We're like walking around as if we own the place that we live. We forget that there is a creator that has granted us all the things that we have. We've forgotten that this church is a blessing to our lives. We've forgotten that as Nathan Finocchio said in our night services last year, that actually serving in God's church is actually saving us. And we forget all of this stuff and we take it for granted and we complain about all the things that God is doing. And that is the death of a Christian is complacency. It's actually the death of what God wants to do in a community, in a nation, in a family. Complacency is the very thing that will actually kill us. Guys, I got like at least a half hour left. He now leads whatever this is. Listen, I've got a bunch of little points that I haven't even gotten to, but Uza shows ownership without reverence. <laughs> that's a problem. When you show ownership over something that's God without reverence for God, it's gonna always land you in a place of dying. It's, a, it's always gonna land you in a place of, of your spirit actually caving inside of you. He shows ownership. I own, I own the, 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 the monitoring of this cart, but he doesn't show reverence and it's actually the thing that kills him. I, I wanna speak to those of you that lead here for a second. If you're leading on a team, if you hold a place on a team and you hold ownership over something in God, church, but you don't have reverence for the calling that God's placed on your life, good luck. You're not going to be there very long. It's going to be the death of you as a leader. Oza takes ownership without reverence. You notice that complacency, even from David's side, actually delayed the celebrations of a nation for three months as it exi- as, the, as the presence of God stays at Obed-Edom's house. It actually delays the, the presence of God and the celebrations of God for three months for the entire nation. You know, your complacency will actually delay other people's uh, experience of the presence of God around you. Your complacency with God's presence inside of you will actually delay the presence of God being experienced by the people around you. If you're not allowing him to move inside of you, he's not gonna be able to move through you. But I just wanna touch as we're ending here on the other half of this message. Because not only did Uzzah mess up, but Michal, David's wife, also messed up, didn't she? She's up in the window and she's commenting on all the celebrations that are happening going, David, what is this? David, what's, what's going on? Like, how can you actually fault David for getting excited about the presence of God coming in? But here's the thing, the second greatest killer of the presence of God moving through a church, moving through a Christian, moving in a family, moving in a workplace, is not compla- just complacency. The second killer is cynicism. 
When all of a sudden I take a posture of just speaking down to everything that's going on because all of a sudden I feel higher than she's up in an upper room. She's looking down on David. All of a sudden you start looking down on things. It's actually going to kill your experience of God, not their experience of God. David comes up and all this cynicism is coming at him. He doesn't allow it to shake him. He goes, I'm going to be more undignified than this. It's, your cynicism isn't going to kill my experience of the presence of God. The only experience it's going to kill is yours. As you look down and you critique, you're missing out on the presence of God. And there are so many people that rather show up in church and critique all that God is doing in a church and say, well, the music is too loud. The speaker is too whatever you want to describe me as, good looking, and all the rest of the stuff, and you're like, like, to this, to that, not my thing, not that. And you know what God and all the rest of the people that are experiencing the presence of God are saying? Go chirp it all you want. Because while you're missing out on the presence of God, we're going to be in here praising the name of Jesus, lifting up the presence of God and saying, hey, why don't you use us to actually transform some stuff in this region? Why don't you actually use us, those of us that are willing to actually move with God? Cynicism will only kill you. It will not kill a move of God. God will get his presence into people in spite of you, not because of you or because you're in the way. God will always get his presence into his people. Cynicism is not going to kill this church, but it will kill you in this church. It'll kill your spirit in this church. It's interesting to me that Michal is actually described as Saul's daughter, not David's wife. David's been married to this woman for quite some time, and she's actually described as Saul's daughter, not David's wife. You know, cynicism will actually give you an identity that associates with things that are actually quite naked. Saul was a tyrant. Near the end of his life, he was not, you didn't want to be associated with Saul. All of a sudden, her cynicism starts associating her more with Saul, who was a tyrant, than David, who was a king. Your cynicism is only affecting you. Guess what? You're taking on the label of your cynicism. I don't know about you, but I, I, have a, I actually now have an allergic reaction that I developed throughout my life. You want to know what it is? It's an allergic reaction to negative people. You're negative around me. Victoria taught me this. You're negative around me. I don't need you in my life. There's a difference between actually coming alongside and encouraging and mentoring and correcting and all the rest. There's a difference between that and negativity. And guess what? There's no room for negativity in my life. There's no, re no room for you to just be cynical. There's no room for something great to be happening and you only need to point out what's going actually wrong because the world does not belong to those that are criticizing it. The future of the world belongs to those that are coming alongside it with God's presence and saying, you know what? I'm gonna still believe that the best is yet to come. Yeah, that could be better, but the best is yet to come. Yeah, that could be different, but the best is yet to come. Yeah, they could probably do that differently, but the best is yet to come because when God's involved, the best is always yet to come and I'm always gonna find myself on the side of God, not on the side of man complaining about what God is doing. I really believe that our church has an opportunity to actually live out this David mentality. I actually believe David amongst death and amongst the dying of the spirit and amongst all this craziness happening in this celebration. You know what David does? He maintains focus on what God's doing and he's going, listen, even if all this stuff is happening, I'm still pursuing the presence of God. Even if all this is going on around me, I'm still pursuing the presence of God. And thank God that David focused on God because David's focus on God is what actually gave the strength and the might and the vision and the direction and the consistency to actually bring the presence 
presence of God into a nation. And I will tell you, those of us in this room that will take on a David mentality when it comes to your faith, you will be on the side of things that actually moves forward. The presence of God in, in the history of Canada, if you just stay focused on what God is trying to do. Don't believe people that God is somewhere else. God is, God is, uh, is dead in Canada or, or God is done with Canada. When did that start happening? About 70 years ago? About the same time that the Ark of the Covenant was in Kiriath-Jerim? People started saying that God is dead because prayer is taken out of schools and all the rest of it. Guess what? If prayer was taken out of schools, why don't we send a bunch of praying kids into schools? If prayer was taken out of schools, let's start praying for our schools. Let's say no. The presence of God does not belong to Philistine. The presence of God belongs to the people of God and we will live it out. Come on, we have an opportunity to actually change a nation for Jesus. And it gets me so excited because Jesus didn't die on the cross for religion. Jesus didn't die on the cross to give us rules. Jesus didn't die on the cross to condemn people. Jesus died on the cross to show us his love and to actually bring us into all that he actually created us to be. It's gonna involve change. It's gonna involve all this stuff. But that's worth celebrating, isn't it? Come on, can we raise up a celebration to Jesus as we stand up? Come on, let's stand up to our feet as I close. I just want to talk to those of you, maybe maybe this is your first experience with church. Maybe you've never made a decision to actually put Jesus first in your life, and you're going, this is way different than I ever thought it to be. This is much different than I actually pictured it. You need to know, John 3, 16 says that for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have an eternal life. Thank you for watching. Again, if you were impacted by this message in any way, send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. You can also visit slatechurch.com and fill out one of our online connect cards. We would love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. As well, you can stay connected with us by following us at Slate Church on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.